Welcome to Raising Pensacola, a Pensacola Mom Collective podcast. Whether you're a new mom tackling the newborn stage or a seasoned mom navigating the empty nest, you are welcome here. We are all moms navigating this journey together. We are here to make sure you know your seat at our table is welcomed. So while you finish laundry, go for a walk, or are just grabbing your chair, join us as we are raising Pensacola together. Now, help me welcome your mom hosts, Casey Simpson, Jane Lauder, and Ann McDonald. As we end the month of April, we wanted to bring awareness to Autism Awareness and Acceptance Month. According to Autism Speaks, autism is described as a complex lifelong developmental condition that typically appears during early childhood and can impact a person's social skills, communication, relationships, and self-regulation. The autism experience is different for everyone. It is defined by a certain set of behaviors and is often referred to as a spectrum condition that affects people differently and to varying degrees. Our special guest today is Rocky Para. Rocky is one of our Pensacola Mom Collective contributors. She is wife to Brett, mom to Beth Ann, Peyton, Walker, and Matthew. She is a retired CPA, career volunteer, avid sports fan, and adorer of old Catholic churches. Rocky passionately advocates for her son Matthew and autism acceptance. In 2015, she began writing about her family's experience with autism on Facebook. In 2020, she published her first book, Embracing Mrs. Mommy, Learning From, Living With, and Loving Someone with Autism. Always in the back of her mind is Luke 12, 48. To whom much is given, much is expected. You can find her on Instagram at Mrs. Mommy. Rocky, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and... um share our story and share about autism awareness and acceptance. Yes, we're so excited to be chatting with you on this very important topic. To start us off, and for those that don't know you, would you share a little bit about your story? Absolutely. Well, Matthew is my fourth child. Um, I was um, surprised by a geriatric pregnancy. And um, because of that, we noticed when he was about 18 months old, that he was starting to regress in his developmental milestones. He, at that point, was speaking and um, interacting just like a typical 15 to 18-month-old, and he very quickly lost all of his language. He stopped making eye contact, and we knew, because we had three other children, that that was not typical. And so we began seeking out... um, specialist, therapist, anybody who would listen. And after about a year, maybe a little over a year of seeing a variety of specialists, he was diagnosed initially with pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified. And then ultimately over about a two week period, three different specialists diagnosed him with autism. Um, I didn't really know anything about autism except having watched Raymond on Rain Man. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband as a physician knew a little bit, but we had to quickly um, get up to speed to do what we could to help Matthew. And what was that like for you having to just, you're getting all this information all at once, it seems. It was overwhelming. It was, um, I wanted to, you know, fix this for him. And 
Um, I've changed a lot. I no longer try to fix, but what I didn't let myself do as, as quickly as I should have was I didn't let myself sort of process the emotion of the diagnosis and the impact that that would have on him and my other children and our family for the, the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. And so that's something I, I always tell other people now is like, take a minute, breathe, let yourself get used to the fact that this is not going to look how you thought it was going to look, but that's not bad. It's just different. And then when you're ready, then hit the ground running and make a plan and start to figure out, okay, what do we need to do first? And for us, it was find a preschool because we had been respectfully invited to find a new preschool that could better meet our needs. And so that going to that preschool sort of changed the trajectory for us. It introduced us to new therapists and introduced us to other parents of children like Matthew. We got involved with Autism Pensacola and, and the pieces just started to fall into place. And I, I don't know if you know this, but the puzzle piece is one of the symbols of um, autism and autism awareness. And it makes perfect sense because you're constantly trying to find like the pieces to help your child become the best version of themselves, which is really what we want for all of our children. It's just a little bit more challenging with a child with special needs. So Rocky, yeah, that's what I was going to ask uh, two questions. If you are, were a part of any of Autism Pensacola or any other groups that seem to be really supportive and helpful. And also, what preschool did you end up putting Matthew in? Okay, um, I'll start with first the organizations um, and Autism Pensacola I have been involved with since he was diagnosed. I've served on their board, have been involved with various um, services that they offer and I highly recommend to families either new to the area or new to a diagnosis to seek them out because they offer services from children, you know, as young as two years old to adults. And depending upon what you need, they may, if they don't have it, they can connect you with someone who might have the answer. So they're, they're a great resource. Um, if you live in far east Santa Rosa County, there's also Emerald Coast autism center. And that's another good source. So depending upon what geographically works for you, but my involvement has been with autism Pensacola. Um, preschool wise, we went to Capstone Academy, which is on the West side of town. It is, um, falls under the Capstone organization that originally worked with specifically people with cystic fibrosis, but now they've kind of expanded that market and they offer a variety of programs for people with special needs. But this preschool is a charter school for three, four. And then um, there's, I think, one class of um, kindergarten that may have changed. It's been it's been a minute since we were there, <laughs> but it was great because they not only had a preschool for him, he also was able to get some therapy there as well. So Rocky, my best friend's son is in kindergarten and he went through capstone. He's autistic and it was the best move she ever made. They were part of early steps. And then that's how they got introduced to capstone and how he got into this 
at Capstone. And that's exactly what she said. It's still the same. It's a place that provides all the services for him. And he went from being nonverbal to verbal within a year. So with autism, that early invention is so important. Um, Absolutely. I think that's the most important message I think you could share with anyone is like getting access to services as soon as you possibly can. I mean, the worst thing that happens is you get a diagnosis and then you find out later on that it was incorrect, but the therapies that you use with autism could be beneficial to any young child. Mm -hmm. So I, I highly highly second that with you that those early intervention and child find is a great resource. We went through them and um, they were able to connect us with speech, occupational therapy with capstone. And then um, we ended up at Cordova park for elementary school. That's where he goes now too. I fought really hard for that. Um, At the time we were encouraged by the school district for Matthew to attend home elementary which is a, you know, it's a fine school. They have a lot of services. They do offer a lot of concentrated services, but it wasn't where we lived. And I knew that it was really, (laughs) excuse me, I knew that it was really important for Matthew to get exposure to the children that he lived around at an early age. So they would be comfortable with him as he grew up and they would just know him as Matthew, who was a little quirky versus meeting him later in life mm-hmm. and those quirks being bigger or, or more um, unusual. Mm-hmm. And so we fought and we got there and we ended up in a um, mainstream classroom with a support for kindergarten, first grade, and half of second grade. In second grade, he moved into a um, self, self-contained classroom for kids with a variety of special needs. But at that point we met the educator who, who really changed us the most. She is amazing. Her name is Fran Zaisley. I have to give her a shout out. She saw Matthew and she saw what he could do and what he could learn and how he could grow academically. And she really encouraged me to fight for him and to fight for his access to as much general education as we could get. And so we stayed with her through fifth grade and she still works with him in the summer at autism camp. She's also a behavioralist, just, just an amazing woman who really gave me a lot of confidence as a special needs parent on how to advocate for my child. That's really amazing, Rocky. I completely agree with you. Having been an ESC teacher and worked with numerous autistic, autistic children in the mainstream classroom just to see their improvement and to see the way that they they learn how to get along with their peers and the success that they have in those classrooms. I, I agree with you. I think I'm always a big pusher to have, you know, if you can be in that mainstream classroom, be in that mainstream classroom, and then have all that support to really make you be successful during that time. And just really always what- listen to also the professionals saying, this is what we think is best for your child and how they're going to be the most successful. Absolutely. Like one of the things that was just super simple was Matthew had mastered his multiplication tables and he was learning some, you know, more advanced math that required putting that to use. And he would get very frustrated by having to um, work out 
you know, multiple steps of multiplication, write it all down. And she was like, he's mastered the tables. We're going to introduce the calculator and he's going to use the calculator to do the long multiplication. We know he knows how to do it, but we want to teach him how to apply that at a different level. So we're not going to have the frustration of going through all the different steps. We're going to let him do the multiplication with the calculator. And then we're going to add in the, the pre-algebra or whatever. And I, I just wouldn't have thought of that. Mm-hmm. And so she really said, we're going to scaffold him. We're going to let him master something. And then we're going to take that part away and let him learn something new. I love that um, she's advocating also for him as well. Like having an important educator in your life just makes such a huge difference. So I wanted to ask you both, and since you've worked in education and then Rocky with your personal experience with Matthew, how do you best advocate for these children, whether it's your own, especially at a young age? Um, And I'm speaking specifically for those who maybe are first-time parents and they're getting these diagnoses, regardless of what it may be. And we'll speak specifically about autism here, but how do you, how do you fight for your kid and not be so scared or just take whatever the doctor or whoever the person is um, at their word? From being a teacher in ESC in that perspective, the parents that have the knowledge, like lean on your per- lean on your child's ESC teacher, lean on the person child find, lean on these people and really try to get as much information as you can. Join these groups like Autism Pensacola. Talk to moms who have been there. Talk to moms who have been through it, and really get the support of that community and know all the resources out there. That's a lot of times what I see is parents just had no idea that resource was out there that it existed and how incredibly beneficial it was. And so a lot of times as the ESC teacher, that that was my job in meetings. I'm advocating for what this child deserves in the classroom. And I'm, I know all the resources. So if you've got an ESC teacher, you know, ask them, hey, what can we do to really help him? I ended up working with a child with autism and he really struggled learning how to read. And I went to bat for him and I said, there's something else there. This is not just autism. There's something else with a processing disorder that is going on because at this point, he should have at least learned these words through repetition and he should be able to regurgitate them. But we're not seeing that. And they ended up taking him to one of my, uh, we've done this evaluation for my son too. It really is if your child is struggling educationally in any in any way and there's ADHD involved, autism involved, or you think anxiety, Dr. Kizelbosch at Sacred Heart is just phenomenal in the way he really takes time to diagnose your child and to really pinpoint how, why is he struggling educationally? What is that holdback for him? And so this student went through that and it turns out the left and right hemisphere were not speaking to each other. So mm-hmm. this is so unfortunately... this child may never be able to fully read. And so then it's like, okay, what are all the services we can give him then? We can't just say, oh, he can't read. I guess he just can't do it. and can't make it. You know, like, no, there are tons of resources out there. We have AI technology now that can read anything to you. And so it's one of those things where it's like knowing exactly what their strengths and weaknesses are and knowing the resources to help support that. And that's going to be somebody who's been through it, somebody who's in the profession that knows it. So just really kind of reach out and try to just gain every resource you can. I think relying on the resources around you is is super important, but I also think you have to remind yourself that you know your child better than anyone else because you 
spend so much time with them. And if you really feel like their needs aren't being met, come up with evidence of how they're not being met. Don't go in with just emotion. Gather um, video evidence. Video your child showing what they can do when they're not in an environment that is um, overwhelming or stress-inducing. I think sometimes things like anxiety and ADHD are often found in combination with autism and trying to get to the root of, is this the autism diagnosis creating this challenge for us or is it the anxiety or is it the ADHD and making sure you're, you're figuring out what is the, what is the, the source? Because for us, especially with my son in the teenage years, anxiety has been a greater challenge for us than the autism. It, it makes his symptoms or his challenges that autism brings worse or more difficult for him to overcome. But the root is not the autism. The root is the anxiety. Mm-hmm. And then those things play off each other. So I think just remembering, you know, your child, you have to advocate for them, but you also have to listen to the, the professionals and sometimes realizing that you might have to adjust your goals for them or um, rethink those goals, slow them down, change them completely. And that's okay. You do those things with neurotypical children as well. Yeah, that's how we ended up uh, with Dr. Kisselbosch was my son had ADHD, but there, I could tell there was something else there. We were having emotional breakdowns and I was like, that's not ADHD, that's something else. And it turns out that he has pretty stiff anxiety. And so then it was the medicine that we're giving him for the ADHD was perpetuating the anxiety, which was causing these like increased emotional breakdowns at the end of the day when he was coming off the ADHD medicine. So we ended up having to stop all of that. So yeah, knowing your child and saying, Hey, I think there's something more there. Hey, Mm -hmm. you know, and giving yourself grace is grace too, as always, I'm sure Rocky, like taking that moment to take a break and say, it's okay. Like, let's just... Take, let's just step back for a minute and really kind of think what what's happening around us that could be causing this. And, you know, is it the same situation? Like you said, taking that data, knowing that certain situations are not going to be the best for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That is that is some great advice. So I also wanted to ask, how can we best teach our children about acceptance? So I have small children. They're becoming, you know, early elementary school, they're very perceptive. And so sometimes the questions come, and I'm always nervous about offending somebody, whether whether it's a friend or maybe somebody that we don't know very well because of an offhanded comment that one of my children makes. And so you don't, I'm always careful, like, I don't want to make the situation worse. But then I also don't want to ignore it, like, oh, it's not there, you know. So what what is an appropriate way to teach young children about this? I love that you asked this because this is something that I'm super passionate about. I want children to ask me about Matthew. I have always wanted children to feel comfortable asking and getting answers about, well, why does he do that? Why does he wear headphones everywhere he goes? Well, he wears headphones because he has like super sensitive ears. If there's a fly in the room, he's going to hear it and it's going to drive him crazy all day long. But if he has on those headphones, it muffles the sound enough that he can function. You know, why does he carry Buzz Lightyear with him everywhere he goes? Because that makes him comfortable. So I think encouraging that curiosity and then 
teaching your children that different is just that it's different. Mm -hmm. It's not less. It's just that person might need supports of various kinds to help them Mm -hmm. introduce them through children's literature. There are some great books out there about kids with a variety of special needs and having those books on hand. Um, One of my favorites is wonder. I can't think of the name of the author off the top of my head right now, but that is a great um, book that teaches children about those who are different. And the thing is they, they want to have friends. They want to have that connection and they don't know how always to find it themselves. Matthew struggles with that. You know, he, he wants to have friends, but he also is not always willing to do the things other people want to do. And so if you want to be his friend, you kind of have to dive into his world and hang out with the Wiggles or Toy Story 2 or, you know, the way to engage him initially is by doing something he likes. So if there's someone in their classroom or in their Sunday school class or in an extracurricular that is autistic or has another special need and they want to get to know that person, encourage them to find out what is what is that person like and sort of get to know them through that common interest. and then that person may show more interest in them. But I I encourage young children to ask questions. I go speak to groups of children and adults and share our story and encourage them to to learn more and and seek to engage. So from when I would be teaching and I taught kids with special needs and then also my son growing up with my best friend's um, son who's autistic and ask those questions coming up pretty early, my my response was always just how Warren's brain is different because we talked a lot when Warren was younger and the ADHD started coming through pretty early about how his brain is different and he moves faster than other people. And that's why sometimes that's why he's always tripping and running into things is because he moves so fast and every brain is different. Everybody learns different. Everybody develops differently. And also to understanding that nobody is going to be the same. You know, we are all different and to embrace those differences. And we always call it, it's been called the genius button at times. It's been called your superpower, but everyone has something, you know, my mom was huge on you. You can find something positive about every single person. So what is, what is something great about them? You know, is, is Matthew just really, he's amazing at math. You know, he's got super sonic hearing, you know, like sometimes (laughs) for those little kids, it's, it's just saying, you know, there's, there's things about them that make them that are like a superpower to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love, I love that encouraging of the curiosity. And I think sometimes we're a little afraid of that, you know, like, oh, we have to be quiet or we have to don't stare, don't look, you know, encouraging that curiosity because kids are kids and they will pick up on things. So, um, so thank you for that encouragement there um, and encouraging the children's curiosity as well. Um, So Rocky, um, Matthew is 18 now correct? Yes. Yes. So what, in looking back over the years, what is the greatest lesson that maybe he has taught you? I know we're getting deep. <laughs> oh, we're getting deep. Um, well, I have, I guess twofold. One is he taught me to not take everything quite as seriously as I did before. Um, I was very much a perfectionist. Um, and not that he's not perfect because mm-hmm. he is totally perfect in God's image. I 100% believe that. But I had to learn to um, 
to slow down, to not plan quite as much for, you know, his future 20 years down the road, but I might plan for what he was going to be doing in three months or six months or because he continues to um, take two steps forward and one step backward. And, you know, we learn different things about him that change and, and that evolves. So I think teaching me the importance of um, taking time mm-hmm. and, and learning how to appreciate small victories like their giant victories and what is, you know, what one child you're going to celebrate them making an A and another child you're going to celebrate them making a C because that C took a lot more effort than that A. And then the other thing, the greatest gift that Matthew um, has given is his, the impact he's had on his siblings, his three older siblings, you know, really had to adjust with his diagnosis. They endured um, less time with their parents as much as we made efforts to give them their own special time, you know, his needs were great and they took that and just kept rolling. And they all are these incredible, inclusive, empathetic, understanding individuals. And they've taken that with them in their adult lives. And they all have such a unique way of interacting with him. His oldest sister sends him letters all the time because he likes to get mail and the next sister likes to play with him. She's like the fun aunt and they go to McDonald's. And then his older brother has plans to like have him live with him one day. So they just, you know, he, he's been such a gift to our family. And I think he kind of sometimes is the glue that holds us all together. Um, and I think that's really important because sometimes um, having a special needs child can be really hard family on a marriage, the the incidence of divorce and special needs families is really high. So I'm just grateful that he brought us together instead of, you know, pulling us apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something my mom always said to us growing up, I'm one of four in that household was she always tried to meet us where we were at, like where we needed, like, and sometimes that meant that my middle brother needed the most attention and the most support at one time where it was me at another time. And so she said it was never fair. She was like, it was never fair across the board. You didn't ever, none of y'all ever got the same thing. It was what you needed as Mm -hmm. my daughter. It was what they needed as my sons, that that's what they got. And so I really try to adopt that and be there for my kids in the way that they need me and not always, of course, they notice when it's not fair. They're like, why did he get to that and not me? I'm like, because this this is just where we're at right now with him. My son turned 10 uh, back in November and he got this big trip because he turned 10. And it was, I was very clear on the fact that like, the younger one was not going because this was special for him. So I really, I like that, Rocky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how can we walk alongside you and Matthew and others who have family members or friends um, in the autism spectrum? Um, I think, you know, don't be afraid to, again, be curious, ask questions, see how you can um, help read up on um, if you have a friend with a child with special needs, whether it's autism or something else, learn about that disability show interest um, as far as being more accepting, just, you know, learn that um, each child with autism is different. Mm-hmm. 
if you know one child with autism, you know, you know, one child with autism, it manifests very differently. But um, teaching your children about acceptance, I mean, to me, that's like the biggest thing to help one generation from the next. I feel like my children's generation is more inclusive than um, my generation. And hopefully their, you know, their children's generation will be even more so um, encourage your kids to be friends with um, those children, because I think that's also, you know, if one child sees another, including someone who's left out, then they're likely um, to be involved as well. Um, just be, be kind. <laughs> that's what I, when I go and talk to children's groups, I tell them, if you don't know what to do, do the next kind mm-hmm. thing, not necessarily the next right thing. Cause there's not only one right thing, but do the next kind thing. Um, if you see a mom in target, whose child is having a meltdown, give her a smile. Um, Rocky, I always want to do the, um, you know, hunger games where she's like, does the, I always want to do that to people in target. Like I got you, mom, you keep, you hold strong. Like we're all here for you. I mean, I, you know, I had, that about me has changed. There, there were times where I would like see kids and um, think what in the world, but now I see them mm-hmm. fully and I'm like, that child is overstimulated. That child is not verbal. That's not a kid being bad because they didn't get a toy. Mm-hmm. That's somebody who's really struggling. And that mom could really use a smile or a hug or a, Hey, can I offer your hand? Can I help you get your groceries to your car? Because she is dying on the inside a little bit, but she's got to, she's got to finish because she's got to keep her life going. So I think that's huge. I've had people do that to me in a store before and be like, Hey, what can I do to help you? And that just made such a difference. Turn my day around. Rocky to that effect too, with, with my friend um, who has an autistic child, she also has two other children and they're younger than him and he's only six. So she's got quite the full household. Right. And sometimes it's just about her being included. You know, it's like, uh, I find myself being like, well, she's so busy. You know, I don't want to bother her. But then she's like, no, please. I would love to go out on a walk and like just take the kids around the park or just to have a moment where somebody else is there and somebody else sees me and I'm not lost or forgotten because everyone thinks I'm busy or they think I'm dealing with too much. So they don't include me in something. Yeah, I have a great group of friends that just like welcomes Matthew in. And they we have one group that we go to their house on uh, Christmas Eve every every year. And like when he was little, he was opening cabinets and drawers and she was like, fine, just let him make himself at home. And now he remembers that because he says, you know, are we going to the house that has the toys in the closet? (laughs) Yes, we are. There aren't toys in that closet anymore, but we are going to that house. So yes, invite, invite them. They might turn you down three out of four times, but, but don't forget about them. Because I do think that happens is that people lose connections with um, their circle and their people. And then that kind of adds to the sense of isolation that they that they already feel. Um, and I also think it's interesting. Your friend, her son is the oldest. Yeah. And, and I think that would be really difficult. Like, I feel very fortunate that mine was the youngest because... Um, it was easier to sort of let my other kids be slightly more independent, but it would be harder. 
when your oldest is the one that's requiring more effort, more time, and then you also have younger children that you're trying to balance. I, I my is. hat is off yeah. to her. Because I, and I think a lot really of times it kind of felt like she had twins instead of an older son and a younger mm-hmm. son because of his slow development. And so it that's always kind of how I saw her because her um, the oldest and the middle brother are kind of like at the same developmental stage. And to that too, when you're going back and you're talking about how Matthew connects your family, I think that people are brought into our lives to teach us something. And that, you know, my friend's kid, he brings compassion to our life. He brings understanding. And it just, I love the way my kids accept him and play with him. And they've, they've learned more about autism through him. They've been in classes with kids with autism and I've seen them advocate for those kids and say, you know, pull them into the group, make sure that they're being included as best that they can. And so I think that it's really important to, um, back to your, your statement to have kids understand and realize the value that every person can bring to their life and also understand and turn your judgy face off right now. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes in a store, I want to be like, turn your judgment off. (laughs) Well, you know, we get, we get a lot more judgment now because Matthew is like six feet tall. He's, um, you know, he's, a big, he's, he's kind of like, I say this and I mean this in a very like positive way, but living with him can be a bit, a little bit like living with Buddy the Elf because <laughs> he's this big kid, you know, and he wears headphones everywhere he goes. He usually has an iPad, but he is also just kind of silly. And I think sometimes when people who don't know him try to interact, they're like, Oh, what, you know, what is this? And and I get that judgy face. And then when you say, I'm sorry, he's not talkative today. His autism is kind of more um, challenging today than it was yesterday. And then they get this look of like guilt on their face. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to make them feel guilty, but I'm trying to advocate for him. We don't keep it Mm -hmm. a secret. Mm -hmm. You know, we've always been very upfront about his diagnosis. And I find that sometimes the best way to like deal with judgment face is to just put it Mm -hmm. out there to the whomever it is. And then they're like, oh, and those, you know, like, I'm sorry, I didn't realize, but there's no other way to say it besides him, like having a button. Exactly. I was about to say, it's not like you've got it written on your face. And that sometimes is what's so hard. We call them this silent, silent, like mental health, where it's not outward appearance where people can just look at you and see that, that you've have spina bifida or cerebral palsy or something that, you know, is it's an invisible disability. Yeah. And it's hard. I sometimes think it would be easier or people would be more, accept- mm-hmm. not easier. People would be more accepting if it was more visible because once they understand, they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. That explains mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Well, I hope our conversation today encourages you listeners to, um, you know, just teach your children kindness, um, acceptance, 
and doing the next kind thing. And so I want to thank you for that reminder. As we wrap up the episode, I also wanted to end today's episode with um, some words that uh, Rocky wrote for Pensacola Mom Collective (laughs) on um, April of 2021. And it's titled My One in 54. And you can go to Pensacola Mom Collective and read the entire article. But I just thought that it would be a great way to wrap up this episode. And so Rocky wrote, the goal of awareness is acceptance. Awareness without acceptance is like an empty promise, a half-written letter, or an unfinished painting. Why acceptance? Why is this my rant today? It is important for every person at every age in all manners of being. We have to teach our children that people don't grow out of disabilities. They grow up and they grow into their disabilities. Their timeline for hitting developmental milestones is different. We must accept them. Not just when they are sweet toddlers or rambunctious elementary school children, but also when they are quirky teenagers and eccentric adults. Just like each one of us, Matthew and his peers want to be accepted and included. Rocky, thank you for sharing your story. We admire you and admire the way you advocate for your son. And I'm so, I'm just so grateful that we had this conversation today. Well, now my eyes. <laughs> thank you for um, thank you for having me and giving me an opportunity to talk about something that I'm very passionate about. I love Pensacola Mom Collective. So thank you. And we love you. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to Raising Pensacola, a Pensacola Mom Collective podcast. Make sure you follow Raising Pensacola and Pensacola Mom Collective on Instagram and Facebook. If you like the episode, give us a like, review, and let's keep the conversation going. Let us know what you want to talk about.